0: Sorry, give me just a minute to get situated. (laughs) Nehemiah. We're inching closer to the end of the book. In chapter 13. I'm going to sing that obedience song the next two weeks. So maybe by the fourth week, I'll get it straight and get it right. Can only hope. <laughs> obedience. That's how God knows that we love him. Kids, that's how your parents know you love them. Even big Kids. Although the, the relationship changes and, and the obedience thing changes, there's still honor and respect to be paid. But as kids and and as Jerry's gonna little Jerry's gonna find out, his parents will know that he loves them if he obeys them. And that's the way our Heavenly Father sees us. If we will obey Him, that is a sign that we love Him. And last week we looked and we saw that Tobiah excuse me, Eliashib, the high, pri- high priest, did something he shouldn't have done. He cleaned out, he was put in charge of the, the warehouses of the, of the house of God and the tabernacle. He was to make sure that the, the offerings that were brought in were stored properly, were issued properly, that uh, the guys that were supposed to get them got them. And what did he do? He cleaned it out so somebody that had no right even being in Jerusalem, let alone in the temple, could reside in the house of God. That's not obedience. Not even close. We're going to see a little bit later today one of the results for Eliashib in, in that regards. There's consequences to our actions. We can't sin and not be affected by it. We can't sin and not affect those around us. Nehemiah had left town for a while, went back to Babylon, comes back, and he sees what's going on, and he throws Eli or he throws Tobiah out of the temple, and then he tells. Some of the other Levites there to go in and fumigate it. Didn't he want the smell of the guy in there. Get, get rid of it. And today we're, we're moving on to verses 10 through 14 of Nehemiah chapter 13. Illustration from a Sunday school class of a church that we attended many years ago. It still bothers me. Just the, just the way that it was told. There was a young man who was raised in a Christian home. Good kid. Always went to youth group at church. Went to a Christian school. Had a lot of friends there. Good kid. Seems like he was on the straight and narrow way. Then he went to State University. And in that first semester, a professor made fun of Christians and convinced this young man that it was all nonsense. And by the time he went home at Christmas at the end of his first semester, he didn't go to church. He didn't care about that anymore. And the point in that Sunday school lesson was, see, you shouldn't send your kid to a public university. (coughs) Wrong answer. The problem was that the faith was not his own. He had never been tested. How does a tree get tested? When the winds come. That's how you know if the roots are going to hold. This young man had never been tested. He lived in a Christian bubble. Everybody thought he was a great kid. But he was just doing what he was told and following the example of all the other monkeys around him. Because if you don't make the faith your own, when the winds come, they're going to knock you over. We looked at Philippians chapter 2 last week. When Paul said to the, the church at Philippi, he said... I hear good reports about you because even when I'm not there you are obeying and following the word as it should be. It shouldn't be that you follow because there's a man there preaching or teaching or somebody that you somebody earthly that you respect. Paul says even when I'm not there I hear testimony that you guys are standing fast in the faith. You're standing firm you're not letting the wind knock you over. Nehemiah went back to Babylon. The wind came up and Eliashib opened the gates of the temple to Tobiah. What a shame. shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have been that way. But that young man imitated Gave the Sunday school answer, you know, in Sunday school the answer was always God, Jesus, or the Bible. You know, if you said one of those three, you were probably close to right, if not right. (coughs) That didn't cut it. Doesn't cut it in the real world. Never made that faith his own. Eliashib, obviously, would rather bow to the family pressure of Tobiah than to stand on the word of God. I'm going to read a little bit of illustration here, and, and I, the only reason I'm going to read it is because I'm not that good a storyteller, and I've missed too many points. But this is from Chuck Swindoll's book on Hand Me Another Brick, on Nehemiah. He says, The life of Ludwig van Beethoven... Although one of the great, one of great ecstasy was also checkered with sporadic agony. By the age of five, Beethoven was playing the violin under the tutelage of his father, also an accomplished musician. By the time he was 13, Beethoven was a concert organist. In his twenties, he was already studying under the very watchful eyes of Haydn and Mozart. In fact, Mozart spoke prophetic words when he declared that Beethoven would give the world something worth listening to by the time his life ended. As Beethoven began to develop his skills, he became a prolific composer. During his lifetime, he wrote nine majestic symphonies, five concertos for piano, not to mention numerous pieces of chamber music. Ludwig van Beethoven also wrote sonatas and pieces for violin and piano. He has thrilled us with the masterful works of unique harmony that broke with the traditions of his times. The man was a genius. Beethoven was not, however, a stranger to difficulties. During his 20, he began to lose his hearing. His fingers became thick, he said on one occasion. He couldn't feel the music as he once had. His hearing problems haunted him in the middle years of his life, but he kept it a well-guarded secret. When he reached his fifties, Beethoven was stone deaf. Three years later, he made a tragic attempt to conduct an orchestra and failed miserably. Approximately five years later, he died during a fierce thunderstorm. He was deaf, yet a magnificent musician. On one occasion, Beethoven was overheard shouting at the top of his voice as he slammed both fists on the keyboards, I will take life by the throat! He had determined not to give in. Many of his biographers feel that because of his great determination, Beethoven remained far more productive than he had otherwise would have been. Indeed, he took life by the throat. I'd like to borrow that phrase and apply it to leadership. I will apply Beethoven's phrase to the areas of wrong that we must face and take by the throat. Our main character will not be Beethoven, but Nehemiah in the final chapter of this book. Last week we saw Nehemiah take the situation by the throat. We said he didn't have to form a committee. He didn't even have to have a prayer meeting. When you know that there's wrong going on, you just get rid of it. You take it by the throat. You don't pamsy-mamsy around it and try to make excuses. You grab it by the throat and you get rid of it. Today, again, he's going to grab it by the throat. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 10. I also discovered that the portion of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is this house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouse. And in charge of the storehouse, I appointed Shalomiah. Huh, wonder what happened to Eliashib. That was his job, used to be. In charge of the storehouse, I appointed Shalemiah the priest, Zadak the scribe and Padiah of the Levites. And in addition to them was Hanan the son of Zachir, the son of Mattaniah, for they were considered reliable. And it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen, Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my royal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. Nehemiah came back, and the first order of business was he had to throw Tobiah out of the temple. So, unfortunately, we couldn't say about the Jews living in Jerusalem at that time the same thing Paul could say about the church at Philippi. That even though I'm not here, I know that you are doing right. Unfortunately, while they were gone, while Nehemiah was gone back to Babylon, they didn't do what was right. They were not obedient to the law. Now, is is the, the, the question is always, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, in this situation, I'm trying to figure out first what happened. Did Eliashib, got to get my names right here. Did Eliashib clean out the room in the temple so that Tobiah could move in? Or did people stop giving gifts so there was nothing in that room to begin with? The tithes that were supposed to be stored there, were they not there? I haven't totally figured that out from the the reading and the text, but if you look in verse 5, chapter 13, had prepared a large room for him where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, the tithes of the grain, wine and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers, and to contributions for the priests. Now, it says they were formerly where formerly they put them. So that almost makes it sound like they had already stopped bringing the tithes and offerings. To the temple, like they were commanded to. But I find what what I find interesting is in verse. Okay, where do we go here? Okay, the end of verse eleven. Then I gathered them together and restored them to the posts. When the when the people weren't bringing their tithes to the temple, we, we remember that that the the the, um, the temple tax. The temple tax was the two days of of work for the year. That that was brought in specifically for the house of God. And then there was the wood offerings, and then there was the first fruits, and then the tithes. Those people did a lot of giving. They did a lot of giving. But when the the tithe came into the temple, the Levites, of all that came in, would take the 10% and give it to the priests. Because we remember that all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. A lot of the Levites were, were the, the, the worker bees around the temple, getting the, the, making sure that the wood was there for the fires because the, the brazen altar, the fire was to never go out because it was a symbol of God's presence. End of verse 11, Nehemiah says, I gathered them together and restored them to the post. When the, the, the offerings weren't coming in, the singers, the gatekeepers, the people had to go back and work in the fields because they, 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 they existed off of the tithe that came in. That was their payment, I guess is just the simple way to say it. For their service, they were to be supplied with the grains and the, and the things that the tithe brought in with the first fruits, And when that stopped coming in, that room was empty. So it didn't take much for and it. And I believe that's in truth the way that it was, was that the tithe stopped coming in. The singers and the gatekeepers and the Levites went back home because there was no, not, no income coming in. And because that room in the temple was open, it didn't take much for Eliashib to clean it out for Tobiah. Well, what I like about the way Nehemiah did it, he didn't say people bring in the tithe. He got the singers and the gatekeepers back and appointed people to take care of the tithe that he knew was going to come back when the people started being obedient. And that's exactly what happened. But let me, I, I, I jump ahead of myself. Let me back up to verse 10. He said, I also discovered. And we, we talked last week that the next four weeks we were going to talk about the people and, and their sin and then there was going to be Nehemiah and his response. Well, the beginning of that response, it kind of jumps the gun today. We got to reverse. Last week we talked about the people and then what Nehemiah did. This week we're going to talk about Nehemiah. Verse 10, he says, I also discovered that the portion of the Levites had not been given them. I also discovered, what was his first discovery? Tobiah in the temple. I also discovered he was a good leader. He was walking about, examining things, looking at things, seeing what needed to be rooted out, see what needed to be put back in order. Now, his job would have been a little bit easier if the people had been obedient while he was gone. But because they weren't, he had to come back. Once he found Tobiah, he's like, oh my goodness, what else am I going to find? Kind of opened his eyes and made him aware that he needed to be looking around. Because if somebody, if the high priest was willing to let Tobiah live in the temple... There was probably a lot of other things that needed to be corrected or fixed. So Nehemiah had his eyes open. He was looking. Unfortunately, he had to be. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given, excuse me, that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levite singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. I reprimanded the officials, okay? He's taking it by the throat. Again, he didn't form a committee. He didn't hold a prayer meeting. And I just, I mean, you well, maybe he should have prayed about it before. Um, God, should we obey you or not? I mean, what kind of prayer is that? Do we obey you, God, or do we not? No, it didn't need to, he didn't need to sit and pray about it. One of the commentators suggested that. At a point like that, prayer is a spiritual cop out. Because you don't want to grab life by the throat and straighten out the problem that's there. But we'll pray about it. Didn't need to pray, needed to be obedient. You needed to follow the law, you needed to, to follow the truth. There was nothing to pray about. Do it, do it right. Do it well. Do it according to God's word. So I reprimanded the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And maybe it doesn't go into detail then, but maybe at that point right there, maybe maybe he was already gone. Uh, he he might have fired Eliashib at this point, or maybe he did when he threw Tobiah out of the temple on his ear. Nehemiah wasn't afraid to grab it by the throat and say out the sin should not be mentioned against us it ought not to be this way it not ought to be discussed we mentioned earlier last week about first corinthians when paul is chastising the church at corinth and said guys you're doing sin in the church that the world isn't even doing it shouldn't be mentioned among believers We should be following the truth. So he reprimanded the officials. I gathered them together, and he restored them to their post. He brought the the Levites and the singers who performed the services. He brought them back, even before the tithe was coming back in. Although I think when people heard it, and, and, and how sad is this? How sad is this? When people heard that Nehemiah was back in town, verse 12, it says, All Judah then brought the tithes, the grain, the wine, and the oil into the storehouses. And, and that's a great thing. That's a good thing that the, that the people were replacing their disobedience with obedience. But why did it take Nehemiah coming back into town? Where where is our dependence on God? Where is our faith? Where is our our throwing the, the, the throwing of ourselves at His feet and trusting in Him to take care of and provide for everything? You know, it's part of I guess it's part of our, our humanness that it's easier to have faith in something we see than not. But faith is is believing things that we haven't seen. So along with their disobedience, they were faithless. All Judah brought the tithes of the grain, the wine, the oil into storehouses and in charge of the storehouses. He, he puts new leaders, in, and note why he chose these, for they were considered reliable. And it was their task to distribute their kinsmen. Remember 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, we talk about we, we pass these truths on to faithful men so that they will pass them on to the next generation and they to the next generation and they to the next generation. Not to just any old buddy, but they pass them on to faithful men. Had the song running through my, my head this week. Well, just in the last couple days. Steve Green sings, Find Us Faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives that we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all that come behind us find us faithful. Because if we don't do that to the next generation, they'll lose their way. Part of that's on them, they have a responsibility, but part of it falls on us too. If we don't show them how to be obedient, if we don't show them how to be faithful, how can we expect them to follow in faithful footsteps? That's our responsibility. So he rebukes the leaders, the people bring the ties back, they Replace their disobedience with obedience, and then he establishes reliable men in charge of the temple again. I don't know about all the relationships and the family bloodlines of these guys, but I'm just I'm 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 going to throw a, just a crazy thought out there. I, I'm going to guess that they're not related to Sam Ballot or Tobiah. I can't say that for assurance because I I didn't do the background and I should have maybe. But I'm going to guess that they're not related to those two scoundrels. Those that would mock, make fun, get angry, threaten, even have plots to kill Nehemiah during the rebuilding of the wall. Should have no place, no place in that fellowship whatsoever. But they, these guys, they were considered reliable. Lord, find us faithful. Find us faithful. That the next generation will have faithful men and women, faithful to the word of God, not faithful to the current fad of the day, the current political correctness, not faithful to... Whatever happens to be the theology of the day. But faithful to this right here. Faithful to God's words. Finally, in verse 14, Nehemiah prays. It's been a couple of chapters since we have a recorded prayer of his, but it's another one of his quick prayers. Not a long drawn out prayer. We know that that, that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. So this, I mean, it wasn't a long time between chapters that he prayed. We know that. We know that he was faithful in communicating with God. But here, just a short prayer. He says, remember me for this, O my God. Do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. Nehemiah wanted his reward from the Lord, not from man. He didn't need the approval and the blessings. And oh, you're great, Nehemiah. We're going to vote for you for governor again. You're great. That wasn't his concern. His concern was how the Lord saw him. As our concern should be. How does the Lord see me? Does he find me faithful? Does he find me faithful to his word? Does he find me faithful to service to him, to do it well and for? I was really appreciative of Tim Reed when he was here. When he shared, I think we talked about this Wednesday night at Prayer and Praise. But if you, if any of you remember, I about jumped out of my seat, and I should have probably said, Amen, Hallelujah, when he said it. But you all probably would have snickered at me. He said, It's not about you, it's about God. And I did not prompt him to say that, I promise you folks, you have my word on that. I did not ask him to say that. The Holy Spirit prompted him to say that so that y'all would know that there's other preachers that preach that, not just me. It's not my silly soapbox that I get up and on. It's all about him. Our service is for his glory. Back to Nehemiah chapter 6. Came about when all our enemies heard it and all the nations, the, the wall was completed in 52 days. Came about when all our enemies heard it and the nations surrounding us saw it. They lost their confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Nehemiah says, It's not me. It's God. God did it and the nations around us are recognizing that God's at work. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's all about him. Always will be. Whether we live that way or not, it's another thing, but it always will be about him. Nehemiah didn't second guess himself. When he took it life by the throat, he knew that his stand was right in accordance with God's word. He knew that it was right to reprimand those officials. He knew that it was right for to call the people to bring the tithe back to the temple, and he knew that it was right to establish reliable men in that service and get rid of Eliashib. He didn't need to look over his shoulder or second guess what he did and wonder if it was right. He could be confident and know that it was right. 1 Corinthians 4.2 In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one should be found trustworthy. But to me it is a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Matthew Matthew 6.21 I'm going to get there eventually. (laughs) Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I like to use that quote from Paul Tripp on the, the heart. The song of your heart is a is soundtrack for your life. It, 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 it tells us what you're, what's in your heart. We talk about putting so much of this in that when somebody squeezes us, we ooze Jesus. When somebody squeezes you, what song comes out of your heart? But seriously, think about it. What song just when you're when you're going about your your ordinary week at work, or doing the dishes, or laundry, or mowing the lawn, whatever it is, what song pops into your head? what What song just comes to mind? What are you humming? It tells you about what's in here. Because what's in here tells you where your treasure is. Nehemiah didn't need the recognition of men. He wanted God to examine him, to examine his works, to examine his motives. He wanted God's approval. Father, find us faithful. And obviously, if we're not being faithful, you can't find us faithful, so give us faith. Give us wisdom. Open our eyes. That in our gravestone when we die, if we are to have one, it would be etched in. She was faithful. He was faithful. God, help us to be faithful and to obey you, one, out of our love for you, but two, so that those that do come behind us would have the proper example set for them. That they would know how to live because of the way their parents live. Again, we pray for little Jerry was just born today, Father. Thank you for the blessing of that life. But we pray that as that little guy grows up, that he would look to his parents and see a godly faithfulness, a godly obedience. It's a lot to put on Jerry and Rose, but we put it on him, Father, and, and know that they have you to, to see them through that, to give them strength. And they have us praying for them and loving them and supporting and encouraging them. Father, don't let us drop the ball. Help us to hold them accountable. Help us to hold little Jerry accountable to you, that he would love you and that he'd be obedient to you because of the example that he sees in this church. Thank you for your word. Help us to be faithful, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, very briefly, uh, just a quick VBS meeting up here. And um, the rest of you that are staying for the business meeting, hang around for a couple minutes, and probably five minutes we'll bring you back.